Um, hope everybody's doing well this morning. It's really hard to see. I get it now. Um, <laughs> uh, if you guys don't know me, my name's Jordan. I normally get the opportunity to lead worship here at Remedy, um, but this morning, um, Fudd and Joe, our pastors, have um, they have entrusted me to speak to us this morning. So um, I'm really happy to be able to, to share some things with you from the scriptures. We're going to be in Judges chapter 11 this morning, verse 29. Um, so if you guys have your uh, Bibles, you can turn there. Judges chapter 11, starting in verse uh, 29. And we're kind of going to skip ahead. We haven't got to, to walk through the beginning of Judges yet. Uh, of Judges chapter 11 yet. Um, we will get there in the next couple weeks, so I'll kind of share a little bit of the story. Uh, but the text this morning is, uh, it's tragic. It's a really tragic story. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad story. And so there's, when you read it, you kind of, um, you kind of begin to look at it and say like, well, what is here that's like, who is God in, in this story? Um, how is this helpful at all? Um, and really, when, when, when we look at hard texts, uh, like when I was looking at this hard text this past, I've been looking at it for the past month almost, um, one of the major things that I did was I asked other people what they thought about this text, uh, other believers, what they thought about this text. And so... Um, that's one of the major ways that, as believers, we can learn about the Scripture is to, is to get the unique perspective and gifting of other people in our community um, that, that love and follow Jesus, right? And so I want to say thank you briefly to, um, to again, Fudd and Joe for, uh, for giving me some unique perspectives on this text that I didn't have already. Um, I also want to thank... Uh, Jason and Caitlin Souter for uh, looking over, as well as Jack and Carrie Blankenship and um, Nikki Pappas for like really digging in and doing a lot of research uh, that that went into uh, what you're going to hear this morning. Um, I think it's important to to say that to, to recognize that this isn't just Jordan's thoughts on Judges chapter 11. It's the culmination of um, of a lot of people looking at this text with me and saying, you know, this is this is. This is what I found to be helpful. This is what I think the text is saying, as well as the commentaries um, of countless men and women who are smarter than me, um, kind of trying to explain to us what's going on. So just wanted to share that. That's one of the applications, actually, at the end, is that, um, is that we learn more about who God is. We have a greater, deeper understanding of who he is when we listen to our fellow believers about who he is. So um, that's just kind of a, an intro um, if you guys want, we'll stand together. We'll read all of, um, all of the text together. Um, and then I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You'll respond um, by saying, thanks be to God, uh, just as a way for us to together practice unity, but also to just be reminded of this good and precious gift um, that we've been given. So again, Judges 11, starting uh, in verse 29. This is what it says. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites, 
And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aror to the neighborhood of Minith, 20 cities as far as Abel Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So, he, so she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's pray together, and then we will jump in. Father, we just thank you this morning that, um, that you are kind, that you are merciful. We thank you that you have given us um, the entire counsel of the word of God. And we thank you that, uh, that, that Fudd and Joe have a commitment to preaching the whole Bible, not just the parts that seem uh, comfortable or, um, or easy. And so, uh, God, we just pray that as we look at this perplexing text this morning, that you would help us see how it is indeed valuable for us now, how it displays for us um, who Jesus is, how it warns us um, against, uh, against a lack of knowledge of who you are. And uh, God, I just pray ultimately that we would be changed, that we would be more conformed to the image of your son this morning through um, us hearing together um, and, and listening to what you might have to say. And um, we love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll give you a little bit of backstory because uh, you're probably like, what is going on? Um, there, uh, at, at this point in Judges, the Israelites have appointed this guy named Jephthah. So God didn't appoint Jephthah. We'll learn that in the next couple of weeks. God did not appoint Jephthah to be a judge like some of the other judges were appointed to lead Israel. The Israelites themselves appointed him because the Ammonites... Uh, were, were coming to destroy the Israelites. And so Jephthah kind of tried, as he was appointed, to be diplomatic to solve this without war. And when we get to verse 29, he has kind of exhausted everything that he has on his own. 
Um, he's exhausted every diplomatic measure, and the Ammonites are not listening, and they're going to come destroy the Israelites. And so when, when we get to verse 29, there's nothing left uh, for Jephthah to do. And so that's where, um, that's where we kind of are starting out this morning. And so I've got just four things for us this morning. Two of them are encouragements. Two of them are exhortations, or I guess you could say challenges. Uh, and so I don't have any answers this morning, um, but I have some encouragements for us in our life and maybe some challenges for us that the text will, uh, will, will bring out for us. So we'll jump right back into verse 29 uh, and, and then just kind of get into it. Um, in verse 29, right, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And I just want to park there for like the next five or ten minutes um, and, and, and not go any further because I want us to recognize that before, um, before this story takes off, Jephthah has everything he needs already right at the beginning of verse 29. God has sent his spirit to be upon him. And this is language that's used uh, throughout the rest of Judges whenever God is going to use someone to accomplish his task, even a guy like Jephthah, who was, was not appointed by God initially, but was appointed in sin by the Israelites. God is still deciding he's going to use him, and the way that we know that is because it says the Spirit of the Lord descended on him or was upon him. And I think that's really important. That's also used in other places in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord would descend upon a person and that would empower that person to complete the task that God had appointed them to complete. And, uh, and so I want us to park here for a second so that we can recognize, this is Jephthah in the Old Testament, this outlaw um, in the beginning of chapter 11, it said that a band of worthless fellows gathered around him. So he's not a great person Again, he was appointed in sin by the, by the Israelites. And yet God uh, gives him his spirit to complete the task. And so if that's true of Jephthah, right, in the Old Testament, how much more true is it of you and me on this side of the New Testament after what Jesus has done for us, right? How much more true of it is it of us that if the spirit of the Lord was upon and with Jephthah, that the Spirit of the Lord was, is upon and with us. Um, I think that if we don't get that right here at the beginning, if we don't recognize that we have everything we need already, then the rest of this text is going to be uh, really hard, really defeating, because it just gets worse. Um, so hold on to that. Right? And if you don't believe me, if you don't believe that you already have everything you need, that the Spirit of God dwells in you as a believer in Christ, and that he, he provides everything you need, listen to the words of Ephesians 1, verse 3, that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. If there's a spiritual blessing that exists, you have it in Christ, right? Just, we could stop right there. And if we could, um, if we could believe that perfectly, 
right, then, uh, then how much easier would life get? And, and God doesn't call us to perfect belief. Um, he, he perfects our belief. Uh, and so, but we'll get into that uh, in a few minutes. But that's not the only, that's not the only verse. There's also Second Peter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4. Uh, right, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life. Like, that's, that's all you need to know, right? That His divine power, his, namely His Holy Spirit, has, div- has granted to us all things that pertain to life, He goes on to say, and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which... He's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. All right, this is also the promise that Jesus made to the disciples in the book of John where he says, it's better for you that I leave. Um, this is my paraphrase. But it's better for you that I leave because if I don't, the helper will not come to you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And we know that that promise is fulfilled uh, in the beginning of the book of Acts, in Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended and was given. So hold on to that this morning, right? Hold on to that. Um, we were, this past week, we were making a, a salad because we were eating a lot of pizza. And so we were like, we should probably balance that with some vegetables. And so uh, we went out to the store got a head of lettuce and croutons and like all the stuff that you need to make salad. And we got back home and opened the fridge and realized that we literally already had a brand new head of lettuce um, in our fridge. We had tomatoes from our garden and onions in the pan. Like we literally needed none of the stuff that we went and bought. Um, And we felt so silly that that we went to the store, spent our money, our time, and, uh, and had bought this stuff. And so we ate a lot of salad <laughs> this past week, right? But, um, but I think that that is so many times what, what we find ourselves doing as Christians. We, we spend our time, we spend our energy, we spend our money uh, to go out and try to purchase the things that we already have through the Spirit of God, right? That whether it be our identity, whether it be our security, whether it be our, um, whether it be our salvation, um, whether it be our purpose, right? We'll go out and we'll, we'll try to gather for ourselves these things and we haven't checked our fridge, right? Like we, sometimes we just don't look in our own fridge to see what we already have, um, I think that, you know, that's where primarily the battle takes place this morning is for us to be reminded, to remember, to look back in this text to see what has been made available to us. And right now, what, what we're seeing in the text that's been made available to us is the Spirit of the Lord who comforts, who counsels, um, who guides us. So there's no circumstance with which you're facing this week uh, that he does not have counsel for, that he does not have rest for you to enter into, um, that he does not have joy accessible for you in, despite how hard or difficult that thing may be. 
So let's remember that as we kind of walk forward through the rest of this text, that the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah before he makes any moves. He has everything that he needs and that that's also true of us. So the next thing that happens, we'll just keep walking right down through the text if you're following along. Um, The first thing was you have everything you need already uh, if you're taking notes. But um, in verse 30, this is where things start to go downhill. Um, Jephthah passes through Gilead. He passes through Manasseh. He passed on through his home of Mizpah. And then he passes on to the Ammonites. And I can imagine that as he's traveling, he's getting closer and closer to war. And this is where things go downhill. It says in verse 30, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. I think that Jephthah hasn't checked his fridge. Right? Like he doesn't have a complete understanding of who Yahweh is. Or if he did ever have a complete understanding as he gets closer to war, as he gets closer to this circumstance um, that he's facing, he forgets. One of the two. Um, we certainly know that Jephthah has mixed his beliefs of who Yahweh is with um, pagan beliefs about, uh, about false gods. Uh, right? Uh, J.D. Greer calls Jephthah's understanding of God a hot dog faith, which is kind of a silly way to think about it. But basically, he's got like a little bit of the meat of who God is uh, mixed in with a lot of the fillers and like maltodextrin and sodium nitrite and all the things that like cause cancer. Like he's got all those things mixed in with his understanding of who God is. And it's dangerous, Right? Like you can't eat a hot dog every day of your life. It's dangerous. And so he's got, this, he's got this picture of God that God is maybe this contractual tit for tat. If I do this uh, crazy thing that God will do this crazy thing for me. Um, he's, got this, he's got this belief about human sacrifice. That if he offers a human to God. Uh, that God will somehow think that that's honorable. He doesn't understand that God despises human sacrifice, that in fact the only human that God is willing to sacrifice for his people is himself. He doesn't, ha- he doesn't know who God is. He, he maybe understands from the, from, the, uh, from the stories about God rescuing people, uh, the people of Israel, that, that God is a deliverer. He's got a partial understanding of that, you know, that God is a man of war. But he doesn't completely trust God to rescue him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made this rash vow for human sacrifice. And we know uh, pretty certainly, um, and and Fudd and Joe agree with me on this, as well as everybody else um, who I mentioned, that that in fact God, uh, in fact, the text is saying that he made a vow for human sacrifice. If you want more information on that, there's a really good uh, commentary by Tim Keller. Uh, We can... I can share it with you later. Um, but, and there's some really good reasons why we think that. But, but that's kind of beside the point. He made a vow for human sacrifice. And, uh, and it just shows how much he misunderstands God. And because he doesn't have a right understanding of who God is, he doesn't trust the spirit of the Lord within him to 
to really bring the task to completion. So he, he takes matters into his own hands. And that's the second thing that I think, uh, if you're taking notes, that I think we need to recognize for ourselves this morning. This is the, the challenge. The first thing was an encouragement. You have everything you need already. And, and now here's the challenge that comes with that, which is don't take matters into your own hands. Right? Don't take matters into your own hands. If you have already everything you already need already, you don't need to take matters into your own hands. And if Jephthah had understood that, right, uh, then he wouldn't have needed to make this vow. He would have been able to rest in the sovereign will of God that no matter what the outcome may possibly be, God is omniscient in his wisdom infinite in his understanding and able to, no matter what happens, work it for good and bring it about to, for the completion of his plan. Uh, and Jephthah doesn't understand this. So, And how many times do we do this, right? Where we have to make sure, where we try to stack the odds in our favor, right? Like I think about um, a few years back, the deflate gate thing that happened. Yeah, if y'all are sports fan, I'm not really a football fan um, anymore. But if you if you follow that at all, there was this thing where the New England Patriots uh, were like deflating footballs in a championship game to try and win. And I was thinking about just how ridiculously silly that is. If you're a Patriots fan, you're probably going to get mad at me for this. Or and if you're not a Patriots fan, you're also probably going to get mad at me. But this is like the best team, arguably within the whole past decade of, um, of modern, the modern era of football, with arguably the best quarterback uh, in, in football, and yet they feel like they have to stack the odds in their favor. They feel like they have to, you know, deflate these footballs to win a game. They're the best team in football with the best quarterback, and yet they did it. Uh, and it cost them all kinds of money and... Uh, and it costs them all kinds of notoriety, right? And, and it's just so silly that they had everything they needed to win that game already, right? But they took matters into their own hands. And so when, when we think about whatever it is in our lives that we're facing, right, don't, don't take matters into your own hands. One of, the, one of the easiest ways that you can practice this is right after this, this sermon, when we go into worship, um, you know, maybe you're a control freak and you really have a hard time surrendering any situation to God. And the easiest, safest thing you can do to just begin that journey is to, in worship, just do this. Like, nobody is judging you or like, or like why is that person weird? They're raising their hands. You're in church. And the reason that I say that that's a good way to to start is, what do you do when you surrender? You put your hands up, right? And so if we want our hearts to be hearts that surrender, our heads to be able to say, I'm going to lay this before the Lord and trust in his divine providence, sometimes we have to posture our bodies in that way so that the rest of us will follow. So maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe just during worship, you just need to raise your hands. Maybe you don't even feel it, but maybe you just need to say, like, God, I surrender, and you need to raise your hands. All right, that's my one worship leader plug for the morning. Um, 
But maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe that's just a, a good starting place for you to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and rest on the fact that I have everything I need already. I'm going to try to believe that. And I'm not going to take matters into my own hands like Jephthah did. It's really interesting, though, when we keep walking through the text, what happens next? I would expect, if I was um, reading this text for the first time, for Jephthah to make this vow, if, if I had a right understanding of who God was, for just things to just completely tank after this, right? I'm like, oh, God hates human sacrifice. Why is, what is he doing that? Well, no. And then it just all falls apart. But that's not what happens. It's kind of crazy. Uh, if we read in verse 32, after he makes this rash vow, it says, So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Eror to the neighborhood of Minith, 20 cities, as far as Abel Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. It's like he completely failed in his faith. He did not trust God. He didn't believe him that he would deliver him. But what happens? God still delivers him. He still keeps his promise to his people and not just delivers Jephthah, but because he delivers Jephthah, he delivers the people of Israel. Right? And he, he doesn't just deliver them. He greatly delivers them, right? With a great blow so that the Ammonites were just like scattered 20 cities worth away from, um, from the Israelites. And I think there's something there for us. Uh, if you're taking notes again, this is like the second encouragement, the third point, is that God is faithful in the midst of our failure. This is something that we know um, or that we, that we claim to know, but that I think for me personally, I have a really hard time resting in and trusting that even when my faith is, uh, feels shaky, even when I feel far from God, even when I question him and doubt him, um, and run from him, right? That, that he still remains faithful to me. Uh, and so I, I'm not, I, I also want to say that, that this, this, this little encouragement that I'm, that I'm giving doesn't excuse uh, Jephthah's actions and it doesn't negate the consequences of his actions. We're going to see that in a little bit. But what we have to stop and recognize is that God was faithful to him even in the midst of his failure, right? Um, and, and this shows us some of who God's character is. Earlier I said that one of the false beliefs that Jephthah had was that God is uh, contractual. And, um, and that's kind of right, but really a better understanding is that God is covenantal, that Yahweh is a covenantal God. And maybe you're not up on like Old Testament covenant understanding and you're like, what's the difference between a covenant and a contract? It sounds the same. Uh, well, the, the, the new biblical dictionary of theology, that's a mouthful, 
is this really cool book that you can, you can kind of look and see any word in the, in the Old or New Testament, and they'll do a word study on it. And so I looked it up, and the word for covenant in the Old Testament is, is kind of swapped out a few times. Um, most of the time it's berit, which is like a, a, a Hebrew understanding of, of a contract where God says, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Uh, but a lot of times the word that's used for covenant in the Old Testament is the word hesed. And the word hesed means steadfast love. Steadfast love. And so when we think about Yahweh being covenantal rather than contractual, um, it really helps expand our view and our understanding of how God relates to us. Right? Contracts, they presuppose that somebody's going to break them. Right? Like I am in a contract with Comporium because they don't want to give me internet. <laughs> right? Like they don't want to give me internet. And, and I don't want to uh, pay them for internet. Right? So one of us is going to break, wants to break the contract, and that's why we enter into it. Right? Um, sorry, I know that some of y'all work for Comporium. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, you know, just like anything, like, I don't want to pay for it. I want it for free. They don't want to give it to me because it costs them money for them to give it to me. And um, a covenant doesn't work like that. Right? Think about a marriage relationship. Nobody enters into a marriage relationship because they're like, I want nothing to do with this person, so I'm going to commit my life to them, right? Covenants, contracts presuppose that somebody's going to break them. Covenants presuppose that both parties desire to keep them. And so this, and the beauty of our covenant with God, again, on this side of the New Testament, is that we serve a perfect, loving king that sent his son to die for us, um, that has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that is forever faithful, right? His, his covenant with us is a hesed kind of covenant. It's a steadfast love kind of covenant. And he never fails in his side of the bargain. So even if we falter and we don't always keep our covenant, our covenant relationship with him perfectly, he still keeps his covenant relationship with us perfectly. And I think that that's so powerful for us to recognize. And that's what's happening in this text, right? Jephthah has not. He's done the farthest thing from keep his side of the covenant with God. But God loves his people so much that he still keeps. He's not just saying, oh, you broke it? All right, we're done. And we need to recognize that this morning, right? Um, It's so hard to believe that, but I I find it... Uh, I find it so comforting to know that. Again, that, that like if I don't follow him perfectly or believe com- completely rightly, he's going to do that, right? He's going to perfect my belief one day. He's going to perfect my faith one day. I will trust him certainly and surely one day. Uh, but until then, my prayer is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I can always fall uh, and rest on the fact that he's, he's faithful in my failure. And he was for Jephthah as well. Um, so, almost finished up here. Um, the last thing uh, is, is maybe where it gets really hard. The text takes a turn for the worst. We know it's coming because we read it. 
But what happens, right, in verse 34, Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She's bringing victory and, and love and celebration to her father. Uh, because he's one. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I opened my mouth to the Lord, and I can't take back my vow. She said to him, My father, you've opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me what has gone out according to what has gone out of your mouth now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies the Ammonites and we know what happens next Uh, Jephthah sacrifices his daughter and there is a really potent lesson for us in this text Um, you know, the first thing was you have everything you need already. The second thing was, so don't take matters into your own hands, right? Uh, But even when you do, God is faithful in the midst of your failure. But this last one, uh, to me, is the most sobering and brings the most challenge this morning. And, And that is that your beliefs, they reproduce but they don't just reproduce, they also have repercussions. And that's not just for you personally, like we know the personal repercussions of our beliefs, but most often our beliefs have repercussions for the most vulnerable people in our society. Whether that's right belief or wrong belief, right? So like if, if I have right belief and understanding in who God is, that is going to lead me to care for uh, the poor, the sick, the marginalized. It's going to lead me to give my time, my money, my energy, my everything to see uh, that they find life, that they find what they need, right? I'll expand the kingdom of God. But if my belief is false, if I have a, if I have a completely twisted understanding of who God is, then my belief will negatively affect and impact most sensitively the most vulnerable people in my society. This is definitely what's happening in Judges chapter 11. Who is more vulnerable than Jephthah's daughter? She's a child and she's a female in a patriarchal society. She has no voice, Right? And the only person who's teaching her anything about who God is, is her father. And so, in this text, God does not fail uh, Jephthah's daughter. He doesn't fail this vulnerable person. Right? We know that there's a Levitical law in place that allows, uh, that allows Jephthah to make concessions and repent for his rash vow. Right? If he got home and saw his daughter walk out and he knew who God was, if he had searched 
his scripture for who God was, he would have been able to see that, oh, one, God hates human sacrifice. And two, I don't have to do this. Uh, God doesn't even want me to do this, right? There's a way for me to repent of my uh, false um, mistrust in God and my, my rash vow. He could have done that. So God, God has, has, has made a way for him to get out of this. But he doesn't understand who God is and he doesn't check him, like he doesn't even go check. He's just like, oh, this is, this is how God is. This must be how, who God is and how God is. I can't take back my vow. And what's so interesting to me is that that belief has reproduced itself in his daughter. Right? It's not just Jephthah. This is the saddest thing about this. Is that it's not just Jephthah that believes this, but that now his daughter, who stands to lose everything from this, also believes it because she says, you've opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies. His hot dog faith has become her hot dog faith. His wrong understanding of who God is is now her wrong understanding of who God is. And she gets killed for it. And so this... This, this concept that our beliefs, they reproduce, they have repercussions is, is something that's so important for us to see. I don't want you to feel condemned this morning, but I want us to feel called to, to jump back into these scriptures. Always make sure we're looking at, at the revealed picture of who God is in Jesus. Like uh, always going back to the Sermon on the Mount and rereading those passages that say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, right? Um, uh, care for the poor, like I'm, I'm you know, uh, paraphrasing here, but like to, to go back and look at the picture of who Jesus was. Um, not just to do that though, but like I said at the beginning, to engage in conversation with other believers, to say God has gifted somebody else uniquely um, to understand a part of who he is, that I haven't been gifted and maybe that I don't understand. And maybe I don't have the complete perfect picture of who God is because I'm still an imperfect person. And maybe the way that he designed the church is such that when I listen to other people about who he is, they teach me. And that I don't have it all completely figured out. If Jephthah had just like gone and consulted with a few other people in Israel, he would have recognized that he was wrong about who God was and he wouldn't have sacrificed and murdered his daughter. You know, and I, I think that uh, his daughter is this, um, though, she, though his, her false beliefs became, uh, or his, his false beliefs became her false beliefs. If, to me, if anybody looks like Jesus in the picture, it's, it is the daughter. She's the one that laid down her life to save her people. Uh, and... Uh, and wow, what a picture, right? So, with that last one, there's every, every single one of us has a person in our life that you know of, that you can think of right now, who's vulnerable. Like, every single one of us knows somebody who, um, who is poor, who has need, whether that's like social or... Um, or physical, or spiritual, 
Um, every one of us knows somebody who, uh, uh, who, is, who is oppressed in some way by something. And so, maybe think about this morning, all right, how does my belief in, about who God is, maybe my wrong belief about who God is, negatively impact that person? And where, where do I need to go back into the scriptures, go back to my fellow believers, go back in, into deep prayer to say, God, maybe I thought you were this way, uh, but, but maybe you're not. Maybe I thought you were a God that likes to build walls, but you're actually a God that likes to tear them down. You know, like, like where, where is it that your false understanding of who God is is negatively affecting the most vulnerable people in our society? Because it happened for Jephthah. And, and it didn't just cost Jephthah's daughter everything. It cost Jephthah everything, right? It was his own, this was his only child. And he, and he killed her because he didn't understand who God was. So that's the call for us this morning. Like, let's never stop seeking out the knowledge of God that we might rightly understand him, that other people might see his kingdom come to fruition in their lives. So we're about to go into a time of worship, of, um, of offering. We'll, we'll get to practice generosity together. We'll get to practice surrender together. Um, one of those four things may have rung more true with you than the others. And whichever one it was, you know, there's, there's a space for you to, uh, to move towards this morning. You know, maybe you, maybe you don't uh, always believe that you have everything you need already. Maybe you don't, uh, maybe, maybe you can't rest in the, in the fact that God's spirit is with you. Or if you're not a believer, Maybe you don't have the Spirit of God with you. And I want you to know, if you don't believe in Jesus this morning, that everything um, you need is accessible to you. It's a free gift, the Bible says. Um, that all you have to do is believe enough to say, uh, Lord, I love you. Jesus, I'm, uh, I believe you. I repent. I, I want to follow you. Um, you know, he offers everything that you need, even if you don't already have it. Right, so, so maybe that's where it is this morning. Maybe you like to take matters into your own hands and you just need to surrender in this time. Maybe you need to think about whatever it is this week at work, at school, at home, the way in which you want to take control and, and maybe try to think of a way that you can, uh, that you can surrender that to God to say, I'm, Lord, I'm going to give that to you. Uh, maybe this morning... Uh, Maybe this morning you, you're just far from God and you've failed him and you need to remember that he's still faithful in that failure. Um, you know, maybe you need to take some time and just rest in that truth. Romans 8 is a really good place to start if you feel the weight of that. You know, maybe you just need to crack open Romans 8 in this worship time and just read through it. Um, or maybe, and I think this one is for all of us, maybe uh, there's somebody vulnerable in your life that... Uh, that you've negatively affected by your false understanding of who God is. I know that I can think of a few. And maybe you need to go revisit the scriptures and say, okay, I need to really look at this and see who, who, are, who are you, Lord? Help me be conformed to the image of your son. Right? Help me love this person in a way that I don't want to. So however it is, you have this time to respond.
Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute. Joe's going to come and administer that to us. So let's pray together, and then we'll continue. God, I just I thank you that um, even amongst a really difficult text this morning, a really sobering text that spiraled downward just like the rest of Judges is, uh, that we can find some hope in it, that we can rest on the firm foundation of Jesus, um, that because you're rich in mercy, you've raised us up with Jesus and seated us in the heavenly places, that when you look at us, you see not us, but your son. Uh, Lord, we just we thank you for that. We thank you that you've given us your spirit who guides us and counsels us, that is always near, that is waiting to speak, that is listening to us when we, um, when we have groanings. And God, I just pray that, uh, that you would just help us see more deeply who you are, your, your hesed, steadfast love, um, that you would help us rest in those promises, God, but that it wouldn't stay there, that, uh, that we would be able to pour out our lives um, for those vulnerable people, for those oppressed people, for those who don't have uh, the same privilege that, that we have. God, would you open us to listen to other believers, to consider how you've spoken to them to even change our, um, our false understanding to a right understanding of who you are. God, help us ultimately rest in the finished work of Christ. In his name we pray.